Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools here on the 3CR radio station, 855 on the AM dial. Look, we've been around for a couple of decades now. When I say a couple, I mean, you know, two or three or four. Um, because government schools have been defending all that time and we need to continue. We have lots of discussion about news, views and reviews of things that are going on both here in Australia and around the world to do with two things. Firstly, education and how it's supported and funded here in Australia, and, of course, the separation of religion and the state. Now, why are those two things connected? Well, because in Australia, those two things are almost exactly the same thing, because without the support of the state, without the support of government, um, there would be no private education in Australia, or at least it would be drastically reduced compared to what it currently is. Australia and the Western world is uniquely one of those places that supports all religions with taxpayers' money when it comes to educating children, and it does so without asking the religions to um, change anything that they do to receive the money, which is to say that in a state education system, in a state school, if you send a child there, it will be free, it will be secular, and it will be universal, open to all if you're in the zone. However, private schools are just exactly that. They take exactly the same amount of taxpayers' money in many cases and do not do that. It is not free. It is not universal. They can exclude you. They are exempt from the laws of the country. And, of course, it is not secular. Um, It is religious in nature. Which means that in Australia we do not have any functional separation of religion from the state. So this is a show about both of those things. Today we'll be talking about a war that is going on in Australia between the various sectarian religions, primarily people of a Catholic faith who have their own education system funded by the government, are fighting people who are not of Catholic faith but are equally religious in some other way, the independent school system. They are fighting each other to get money from the government and they are, as is the want of often religious organisations, using lots of moral arguments and lobbying very hard at politicians saying, if you don't do what our God says, um, then we'll make sure that no one votes for you. That's kind of the way it works in a democracy. Um, We'll be also talking about the the history of this whole process. Um, There's some articles being written by members of of the Dolls, which we'll be highlighting, and we'll be travelling overseas uh, to find out what's going on specifically in America with a reasonably famous person called LeBron James, who used to be, and arguably still is, a basketballer, and what he's doing with his fame and fortune when it comes to public education. But we've got all that coming up for you in the next hour. Um, 
And so after, of course, a little break, we're going to have Jean, and she'll be talking, as she always does, about the issue of the week. Hey, what are you doing for National Science Week this year, Stu? Well, one thing I was going to do was go to the Lost in Science Trivia at the Birmingham on Monday the 13th of August. What time is that on again? It starts at 7.30, but get there at 6.30 so you get a good night of trivia and fun. See our Facebook page for more information. Jessie Lloyd shares her Mission Songs collection with the 200 voices of the Boat Millennium Chorus at 2pm Sunday, August the 12th, Melbourne Town Hall. Go to boite.com.au or call 94171983. The Boat supports 3CR. Together would live and would feel no ill for their own Good afternoon, listeners. Here is our press release 759, which will be uploaded onto our website at www.adogs.info. www.adogs.info. Election year 2018 state, perhaps even federal. And the state aid debate is on again. But wasn't state aid to private schools taken out of politics in 1973 with the needs policy? And doesn't the Fairfax Media editor tell us that the Gonski principles are not election pork? The problem is that from 1972 to 2018, All needs-based funding arrangements have been gamed by the private religious sector. Chris Bonner, a retired public school principal and educationist, contemplates the situation. On the current state aid debate, I have a great idea to fix the drought. Give farmers drought relief, extend it to better endowed areas and access to water and continue it long after the rain returns. The farmers, I know, would be horrified if this happened. But when it comes to school funding, the Catholic bishops have no such shame. Every attempt to establish needs-based funding is manipulated to appease the private school sectors and the resulting distortions become a permanent part of the school landscape. Dog's reaction? What did you expect? Why the surprise and outrage? Australian educational historians have tended to analyse change rather than continuity. Change has occurred, and if we are not to be engulfed by our own history, we do need to believe that it is always possible. And that is why dogs persist with their promotion of a democracy with public education available to all children, and why we oppose a selective sectarian system for a plutocracy or oligarchy. But we also confront continuities in the educational and social relay race imposed on our Australian children. The wealthy in Australia have always been reluctant to pay taxes to educate other people's children. 
and aspirational parents have always wanted to buy special opportunities for their children. Religious organisations have always been ready to demand special treatment for God's chosen. The privatised rhetoric grows tattered and adjusts, but questioning of privilege arouses great protest. Catholic bishops in particular have been very consistent. As in New South Wales in in 1880, so in 2018 they demand special deals, extensive state funding with minimal strings attached. In 1880 there were no deals, but since the 1960s their political influence has prospered. Meanwhile, Disadvantaged children in public schools receive crumbs from the private school table while federal state aid is channelled to a well-endowed private sector. So what did happen in the 19th century? There's always been a realisation amongst public school advocates, going back to William Wilkins, Henry Parks and others, that only a free, secular and universal system of education open to all children could minimise inequalities of educational opportunities for the next generation. But whereas 19th century politicians and administrators called the bluff of the religious sector on elementary education, it was only on elementary education, and dominance of secondary education and tertiary opportunities was never ceded to public schools. Unlike their 19th century forebears, however, contemporary politicians will before private school lobbying and haven't we seen it in the last week or so. Many, after all, are alumni enjoying privileges of old boy networks. So what happened in the 20th century? In the 1950s, with the introduction of comprehensive high schools in the public sector, it looked possible for Australia to follow the Scandinavian countries rather than the class-conscious United Kingdom. In Norway, royal children attend public schools, while in Finland it is illegal to charge fees. But no. Selective high schools continued and state aid to private schools was introduced by the Menzies government. A limited meritocracy was the best on offer. Cyril Wyndham, the New South Wales Director General and Architect of Comprehensive Secondary School, wept for lost opportunities. In 1972, DOGS, that's us, the Defence of Government Schools organisation, staged the Schools with the Pools demonstrations, exposing the facilities of wealthy private schools. And in those days too, state school administrators and concerned publicists and academics like T. Roper and H. Carmel also exposed existing inequalities. The Labor Party, desperate for the Catholic vote, invented the needs policy and the Schools Commission. State aid was taken out of politics. Or was it? The needs policy was gamed from the very beginning. Professor Carmel had terms of reference. When our politicians set up committees, dear listeners... Those committees have terms of reference and you need to look at them. The Interim Carmel Committee report stated, 
the needs of the schools cannot be considered only in terms of more of the same. Yet the committee was required to make its recommendations in terms of structures which exist and which it has little direct power to modify. Unable to confront social and religious elites, Carmel watched helplessly as that elastic concept, need, was transformed into needfulness for those with wealth and power. When a 1973 hit list of schools, they're talking about hit lists now, but there was a hit list back in 1973 whose facilities were above standard when it was proposed that these schools lose funds by Carmel, there was outrage from these schools. The Minister for Education, Kim Beasley, assured the affected schools in Parliament that they are all subject to appeal. Some of them have put in wrong returns. The situation was quickly remedied. No one lost out. There was no personnel in inclination or time to investigate quantifiable aspects of private or church resources available to the private sector. And nothing has changed. The myth of equality persisted and continues to inspire rhetorical flourishes. And public schools even received some desperately needed federal funding in the years 1973-78. Their representative on the Schools Commission, Joan Kerner, was an enthusiastic promoter of the needs policy and made sure that most of the uh, teachers' organisations and parents' organisations followed suit. But in 1984, when the teacher representative Van Davey and public school parent Joan Brown issued dissenting reports, the school's commission's usefulness was at an end and it was quietly abandoned. But the state aid debate persisted alongside growing and outrageous inequalities. In the 1970s and 80s, bottom-of-the-schoolyard schemes paralleled bottom-of-the-harbour schemes in the taxation evasion industry. Dogs exposed them in paid advertisements. But it's only billions of dollars later, and the My School website figures telling their own, albeit limited, story that Auditors General and Mr Birmingham have woken up to the state aid scandal. Gonski has also been hemmed in by terms of reference. In 2011, Prime Minister Gillard told Gonski's committee to be sector-blind. In 2017, Prime Minister Turnbull repeated the exercise. Gonski had to retain existing funding arrangements. Continuity rather than change has been the result Compromise rather than confrontation, the process. Public schools remain the poor relations in terms of funding, but not performance. However, meritocratic stories still prove the exception rather than the rule in Australian political, legal and boardroom elites. In the 1960s, dogs predicted 
that the reintroduction of direct state aid to private schools would lead to greater inequality of educational opportunities for larger numbers of children. They also pointed to the issue of separation of religion from the state and, after 15 years, eventually got to the High Court. Although they were forced into a 26-day trial of facts in which the religious sector attempted to prove that religious schools were not religious institutions, dogs persisted. In 1981, Section 116 was read down and out of the Constitution. The 1981 Dogs Case decision has been questioned in recent years and in 2018 churches are dismayed at their loss of religious liberty. The perennial issue of religion and the state has never gone away. But Justice Lionel Murphy's dissent stands for future generations. For decades, dogs were disparaged and any media coverage given to their no-state aid position and the gaming of the needs policies was through paid advertisements. But in 2018, they find themselves entering a mainstream undercurrent. Public school supporters now follow the money rather than the rhetoric as they mine the My School website. As Chris Bonner has found, the current state aid situation is not dissimilar to that of the 1870s. Then, as now, economic and duplication arguments apply. In recurrent funding terms, Catholic schools in Australia are funded at well over 90% of the public funding going to government schools. Some get over 100%. Non-Catholic schools are fast catching up. Many duplicate public facilities. Closures would place governments financially ahead. So I suppose the conclusion is, will there be a change or will we just continue along the same unequal path? Good questions. I think that final point is if you close private schools, then we, the taxpayer, end up ahead is in fact the main point of what the difference is now in 2018 to what it was all those decades ago. In fact, after the break, we're going to be talking about not just what Jean says, but about what now is becoming common knowledge.
Yes, well, I'm going to be talking now a little bit. Actually, I'm not going to get Dale to tell us a little bit about what well, Jordan Baker, um, a journalist at the Fairfax Media, was writing in the Age in the City Morning Herald on the 3rd of August. Um, like all good historians, and Gene would appreciate this, coming from a history background, you've got to collect your secondary sources. Now, Gene's ideas about what the dogs are about and the needs policy is all about um, really does hit home when you realise that economists and parents and the Australian public are waking up to the fact that, um, yes, private schools do provide this concept of a relative benefit, but is the relative benefit to my son or daughter, to my child, actually something that's worthwhile? And certainly when it comes to collective benefit, the private schooling system and the way it's sorted out in Australia is starting to get more and more on the nose. To the point, or as Jane quite rightly says, um, is if you start to close down all of the private schools, you start to save money for the government, not take money away. Um, perhaps, Dale, you can fill us in a little bit more. Thanks, Rob. Yes, the article I've got here is entitled Things Have Changed Since the Government Last Cut Funding to Catholic Schools, and it's by Jordan Baker. The last Australian politician bold enough to cut off Catholic schools was the father of Federation, Henry Parks. In the late 1800s, his government decided that education should be free, compulsory and secular and that the church's involvement should be discouraged. But Parks had it easy. He had no robocalls to deal with, no emails to parents on the eve of crucial by-elections and no cross-sector warfare at the prospect of a special deal. Even then, he wasn't entirely successful The Catholics refused to give up on their schools and kept them going. Government funding was restored in the the 1960s. They they make an enormous contribution to Australia's education system, teaching 20% of all students. There are few other countries in the world with such an enormous government-funded private education sector. The Parks-style movement on non-government schools would be hurry-kiri for a modern politician, But Federation Education Minister Simon Birmingham has poked the bear by pushing through funding reforms under which, for the first time in recent history, some of the wealthier schools will lose public money. Private schools are lobbying to hold on to as much as they can and fighting to make sure no other sector gets a better deal. But the Catholics have been the most vocal. Last month, on the eve of the Longman by-election, they fired off a letter telling parents in the electorate that Labor was offering Catholic schools an extra $250 million. The letter could only have contributed to a fraction of the swing against the coalition, but it signalled to a government approaching a general election that the Catholics have clout and are not afraid to use it. The resulting flare-up of tensions between the Catholic sector and independent schools and the government dominated headlines this week. The irony is that we're arguing at the margins, says Peter Goss, School Education Program Director for the Grattan Institute. The dollars at stake are just 1-2% to of total government funding for Catholic or independent schools and the debate is about how much money to direct to students who need it least, not the students who need it most. Increasingly, it has become a matter of political power and party politics. St Brendan's is a picturesque school 
in picturesque Catholic school in the Sydney suburb of Annandale, one of the one of 424 Catholic primary schools in New South Wales. It teaches 171 kids, three quarters of whom have parents in the highest quartile of socio-economic socio-educational advantage. Like most schools in the Catholic system, it is a parish-based primary school. Catholic education does run some high schools, but the famous wealthier ones, such as St Ignatius College uh, in Riverview, are independent schools. St Brendan's is one of the schools used by Catholic Schools New South Wales to illustrate its frustration with the new funding system. Last year, its fees were $2,490 a year but it has a high socioeconomic status, or SES score, a number based on a parent's ability to pay. So under the needs-based model established by the federal government last year, it will only attract 20% of the government's base per student amount of $10,953. Parents will have to pay the rest, which works out to almost 8000 Under the new system, most Catholic schools will get more money, but the church is worried that those those will receive less, such as St. Brendan's, might lose enrolments and be forced to shut. They argue about 350 parish schools are at risk. In St. Brendan's case, with two popular highly regarded public alternatives within a few hundred metres, that fear is well-founded. But St. Brendan's is also the kind of school cited by supporters of the government funding reforms. Annandale has rapidly gentrified in the past few years. Surely wealthy parents opting for a non-government education could afford to pay a bit more. Until last year, the SES score for systemic Catholic schools was based on a fixed statewide average, which other sectors considered a special deal. The money was handed to the Catholic system in a bundle. They will continue to get a lump sum, which which meant money could be moved around to keep fees low and schools accessible regardless of whether they were in wealthy areas or not. There have been accusations that Catholic officials moved money from poor schools to subsidise rich ones. Some within the Catholic system say that's exactly what they will have to do now because they would never charge $8,000. It's a fee level which totally affronts the mission of Catholic schools, said Dallas McInerney, Chief Executive of Catholic Schools New South Wales, in a recent speech. The government says its aim is to have a clear, fair approach to funding. The issue has always been compromised by different approaches taken across different schooling sectors, Birmingham told Fairfax Media. What we sought to do last year was use the Gonski's needs-based formula across system, apply it consistently and transition everyone from their starting points to a common share of that needs-based formula. The needs-based deal passed last year despite private school and labour opposition, but the government agreed to seek a new way of calculating SES scores so they were more accurate. A review suggested using pre-tax income data rather than the average wealth of the area. The fine detail is still being nutted out, but what happens, for example, when lots of parents are late with their tax return? 
all sectors are sweating on the in the outcome because one SES point is worth about $300 per student per year. But the Catholics have raised more issues. Some state Catholic education officers put this in subtle terms. New South Wales says it wants funding indexed and alterations to the capacity to contribute curve, polite way of saying they want more money. The Victorians are more aggressive. They argue Birmingham has botched Gonski 2.0 and that the SES is biased against Catholic schools, that the sector's relationship with the minister has become toxic. They want the new SES model to be finalised quickly and to be at the table as it happens. The loudest voice is that of Stephen Elder, Executive Director of the Catholic Education Office in Melbourne and a former Liberal MP in the Kennett government. He has Catholic allies in both Labor and Liberal ranks and is not afraid of a fight. When a group representing 650 independent schools, including many low SES schools, wrote to Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull this week, worried that the government was about to strike a special deal with the Catholic sector, Elder fired off a combative press release. It's time for the Independent Schools Association to stop defending special deals for the wealthiest schools, he said. The Association of Independent Schools of New South Wales, Jeff Newcomb, took the high ground, saying his sector preferred to work behind closed doors. We intend to keep doing this, he said. Meanwhile, Labor has offered the non-government sector more money, including an extra $250 million for Catholic schools. The proposal prompted Victorian Catholics to make 30,000 robocalls in the days before the March by-election in Batman, urging a vote for Labor. Birmingham accused the Victorians of being bought by a few pieces of silver. In the email before the Longman by-election in Queensland last weekend, the Catholics again backed Labor. That alliance is like old lovers getting back together again, except this time the relationship would be very different from the one they had in the 20th century, when working-class Catholics were natural bedfellows with unions. Then they fought for funding for schools in struggling areas, often regional communities that reflected the church's mission to serve the poor. Now the argument is about whether Catholic schools should be given high levels of government support for the least needy, and that is causing a fraction within the within Catholic schooling, says one commentator who, like most of those approached for this story, did not want to be named. Many would accept that the most important thing is to get high levels of government funding to those who could not afford it otherwise and are willing to live with less government funding of those that can. Some will argue that the essential thing is to keep low fees regardless. Many in the wider education sector support the reforms. It's a principled stand by Birmingham, said one bureaucrat. Their fear is that the government will buckle under the threat of school funding becoming an issue at the federal election and offer a special deal to the Catholics that would have to extend to independent and Christian schools, taking the funding debate back to square one, or that Birmingham will resort to a promise like a former Prime Minister, Julia Gillard's, that no school would lose a dollar. After Longman... There is, no, there is also conjecture about how much political influence Catholic schools actually wield. 
the coalition would have suffered a swing without their letter. Only 70% of parents in Catholic schools identify as Catholic and many of those are likely to be non-practicing. Some will be impassioned, but others are embarrassed by Victorians' vehemence. Yeah, no, you've got a point there, Doug. Fascinating. Fascinating. I mean, this is now common knowledge. Just bear in mind, and I think the point was made very early on in the article, they're talking about 1% or 2%. They will go to war over cents when the dollars that go to the public school are the ones that solve the problem. As was said, in the, as, as is often said around the world, if you want to solve the problem of education in Australia, if you want to solve the problem anywhere, you've got to look at the system which solves the problem for all students. These two sectors, both the Catholic sector and the independent sector, do not and do not want to educate all of the children in Australia. They have no desire to do that. That's not what they want. That's not what they're designed to do. But what is really quite shocking to anyone who is even concerned about proper, proper procedure with public money is that these people have gamed the system since 1973. The dog's advertisements that I referred to exposed how from the very beginning the Catholic education officers did not put the money into the poor parish schools. They used the poor parish schools as some kind of um, mythical let's feel good, let's feel sorry for these people. They did not put the money into them. They put money into new schools which would become needy and they put the money always into the wealthy schools. The poor parish schools were never properly funded. But I think it's very interesting that uh, that um, Tanya Plibersek, I think, uh, is a member in the Annandale area and that the Annandale school has been selected. It would be quite simple for that school to be closed and taken over. We would actually, as taxpayers, be saved a great deal of money and the public schools in the area would be uh, very well off given that the Catholic children in that area would be mixing with the non-Catholic children in the public school uh, arena. It's a very, very sad situation indeed when those who are supposed to be uh, in some sense have values and who continually moralise at us have since the very beginning been gaming the system. Thank you very much, Jane. We'll be back with more of the Dogs program. After, I think a little bit more music. Yeah. <laughs>
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR, 855 on AM Dial and podcast on the www's. If you're interested in checking us out, of course, you can at our website at www.adogs, that's A-D-O-G-S, adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Um, yeah, especially our press releases, of which there are many, many hundreds over the years. We've been at this fight for some time. Um, we're going to now venture just a little bit overseas, not for very long, because um, I promised earlier we were talking about a basketballer named LeBron James. Now, there's a couple of arguments about LeBron James. Firstly, is he the greatest basketballer that's ever lived? Um, that's, that's, that's one of them. The other argument about LeBron James is he does not have a lot of time for the current president of the country in which he lives. One of the things that uh, LeBron James and uh, Donald Trump are having um, uh, having uh, well, issues over is that LeBron James uh, <laughs> doesn't think much of Donald Trump and calls him rude words on Twitter. Um, that's okay, because uh, uh, the President of the United States calls LeBron James rude words on Twitter, so off they go. That is the state of the debate in the United States at the moment. Anyway, Diane Ravitch, in her blog, is very interested to note that one of the things LeBron James is doing to annoy Donald Trump is he's putting his personal money into the public school system in the United States. Not the private school system, not the charter school system, but the public school system. Now, LeBron James, um, interesting fellow, understands that the overwhelming preponderance of children in the United States attend public schools and that he and all Americans have the responsibility to make them work for all children. In, in his, in, from, from his point of view, from LeBron James's point of view, charter schools and voucher systems and private schools are essentially an escape from the central problem of education. And, of course, he's way smarter than Donald Trump, or indeed Betsy DeVos, uh, the Education Secretary, or Jen Cage, or Jeb Bush, or Rick Snyder, or Rick Scott, or, or Donald Trump Jr., or Reed Hastings, or Eli Broad, or any other billionaire builders, including uh, Mr. and Mrs. Gates. Well, that um, might be why Melanie rather likes him. Well, indeed, I don't know. Uh, well, she does. Yeah, well, she says... Oh, poor old Mel. Anyway, I, 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 I can't actually have an opinion about the wife of the President. It's almost impossible. I just can't. Um, look, but LeBron is investing in what they call it in the United States, what they call wraparound services. Wraparound services are you not just talk about supporting the child in education, but you support the child um, in their life. And public schools are an essential part of that. They're at the heart of it. They're not an escape from it. They're not an escape from the responsibility. They are at the centre of it. And what LeBron James has demonstrated, that every public school can be the best it can be when it has the resources to do what kids need. Now, Dyer Rabbit says we don't need to hand public schools, their buildings and their public fundings over to private entrepreneurs to prove what we already know. Good schools are costly when kids have needs, when kids indeed are poor. They need smaller classes and they need additional resources. That's how you solve the problem. Now, Every child, indeed, according to LeBron James, should have these what they call wraparound services. It, it's, a, it's an approach which is sometimes used in Australia. It's been used at Templestowe College. The idea that to educate a child, you have to understand the child. And to understand the child when you understand their needs. When you understand their needs, then you can get about the business of making sure they're reading, writing and arithmetizing. <laughs> I mean, otherwise there's no point. Now, LeBron James has, in fact, promised to the students of his school that he went to when he was a kid and his promise is that he will then put 
the resources that the children in those schools, in, in, in his old school, need. Now, it's a very personal thing he's doing. It's part of where he grew up, and we understand that. But he's highlighting the fact that the resources you put into are not separate and apart. They're not part of an experiment. They're not part of this private enterprise. This is a Nazis. And in fact, he's not really even doing it for his own personal glory. He's putting it into a public school. He's supporting the public school that he went to. And I think that's a fascinating thing for someone like LeBron James to be doing. And I wish Bill Gates would get into the problem in the same way, rather than put billions of dollars into something with his name on it that has a private enterprise. If you want to solve the problem of getting the largest number of children educated to the highest quality standards anywhere, in Australia, America, doesn't matter where, you have to deal with an education system that is free, a point of contact, that is secular, does not have any preconceived notions of, of a divine creator, so once, once you've done that, then you can start to learn to read and write and arithmetize. And, of course, is universal. If you turn up at the door, you are welcome, which is the opposite, by definition, the opposite of what a private school is. We'll be back with more dogs programs, and indeed, I promised you, we'd be talking about some interesting, great, an interesting, great state school. The Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament presents Dr Joseph Gerson on Wednesday the 15th of August at 7pm. Dr Gerson's topic is How Nuclear Annihilation Stands in the Way of World Peace. August the 15th, 7pm, Melbourne Unitarian Church, 110 Grey Street, East Melbourne. All welcome. Sponsored by IPAN Victoria, Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church, Quakers, Pax Christi, Spirit of Eureka and the Victorian Council of Churches. The Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament is a 3CR supporter. their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Every week on The Dogs Programme we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State State schools. schools School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Our great state school for the week is Bo Morris again. I know, we're going to have the same... In fact, we're going to have Bumpers next week as well because this is a fascinating study. This is how do you get a great state school where you live? Well, what you do is you put pressure on. 
Yes, we've been talking today about the Catholic school system putting pressure and Stephen Elder being rude to everyone. And we've talked about the independent school sector saying, you better give us what we want or you won't vote for us. But at a very local level, you put pressure on. Now, there's a group of parents down at a place called Bo Morris. It's on the bay in, in, the, in, in Melbourne, in the great state of Victoria. Um, and they had an old school down there. It was an old, actually, it used to be called Sandringham. And Sandringham then split into two campuses, and one campus was well-supported and one campus was less well-supported, and they moved. Anyway, this old campus was closed down because there weren't apparently enough students. Now, in the southeast of Melbourne, there are a large number of private schools, and so therefore they were taking out a lot of the children into the private schools because Beaumaris, I mean, is a lovely place to be, but there are, in fact, a lot of lovely people down there who have a reasonably large amount of lovely money, and so therefore they chose to take their children out of the public school system and put them in the private school system. And so for one reason or another, this campus down there in Beaumaris was left to flounder. Now, I worked in it in the days when it was left to flounder, and it was a very sad place. The buildings um, were depressing and leaky and damp and sad. And in the summer, they were stinking hot, and in the winter, they were freezing cold. And the kids were wonderful, and the teachers were even better. But it closed. That was eight years ago. For seven years, the people of Beaumaris fought they fought whoever came along, it didn't really matter. They fought and fought because they wanted their school back. And the beginning of this year, they succeeded. And they succeeded not just, not just in a sort of piecemeal kind of way, they succeeded dramatically. They succeeded excellently. The parents of children in Beaumaris said, we want a state school. So there was this campus. It's all derelict, and it was being run by Sandringham Secondary College. They weren't using it for anything. And the principal at Sandringham Secondary College said, and this, this was the first act of kindness, yep, sure, no worries. If you want to have a Beaumaris Secondary College, go for your lives. Here is the land. You can have it from, from, from Sandringham Secondary College. Yes, there were sports grounds there. Yes, the grounds are beautiful. But yes, you can have it to have your own secondary college. So that was step one. Then they kept pressing. And then they kept pushing. And then they kept putting all the pressure they could on to get this particular school, and it was built. It was built with the support, believe it or not, Daniel Landers, Jane Molino, Philip Dekos, John Lenders, Tim Richardson, and all these politicians at the state level played a role in making sure that it happened. And it started, believe it or not, with Daniel Andrews back in 2013, even before he was Premier or before he was leader of the Labor Party at that stage. He standed on a reserve road down there on Beaumaris and he said there's going to be a high school there if I've got something to do with it and the education minister James Molina also committed to the same thing and after Sandringham College said yep go for your life you can have the, have the land here's the land to build your college they did and they have now it's been built as a public private partnership which is a bit disappointing but nevertheless being built it has and it opened this year so I can't tell you what the NAPLAN results are <laughs> but you know what I don't care there are 150 students down there now, and they've been going at it for a while, for just just for this year. Um, they're still building, so they're kind of still working in working in this working in this place. Um, and I'll be telling you next week about what goes on inside. But I am going to tell you something that I find both interesting, sad, and slightly depressing. The fact that this school has opened has created well, it creates what it always does in a place like Australia. And sometimes I do get very grumpy about what I call the the ugliness of the aspiration that, that happens in a place like Australia. 
Bymorris Secondary College looks sweet, is sweet, good teachers, good kids, highly engaged parents. You could not ask for a better education. In fact, you couldn't buy a better education, and that's the point. The question is, who gets to go there? And because Bymorris is a local school, the local people get to go there. So who defines what the local people are? That's the people who live nearby, the people who live in the zone. Now what's happened is, since the school has opened in 2018 this year, house prices in the Beaumaris Secondary College zone have gone through the roof. This happened even before it opened. Just the announcement that it was going to happen back in 2016 meant that house prices, bang, they've gone through the roof. Because Australians know the value of a good state school and Bo Morris by definition is going to be a good state school. Trouble is um, a lot of the people who actually who lived in the zone, who lived nearby said we want to send our child to a state school, we don't want to send our child to a private school, who, who took all the effort and took all the time to do this have actually now, and it's very sad, been excluded from going to the school because the zone has excluded the houses that are close to this, many, many houses that are actually quite close to the site. And there's a couple of golf courses that have been included in the zone, but of course no one lives there, so no one cares. So it's actually quite strange and a bit, and, you know, they, they will sort it out, I'm sure. But in general, $20 million has been spent on building a new school over the ruins of an old one in some beautiful parkland down there in Beaumaris. But I think it's fascinating. Uh, by the way, it's called a super school. I don't go for words like I don't care if it's a super school or an unsuper school or a not super school or a super super school. Um, with superannuation money? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But what's happened is that now the zone has been set. The prices, and I, by the way, I'm getting this research not from the education pages of any of any national daily. I'm, I'm, I'm getting this information from the local real estate agents who are licking their lips because this is brilliant. But next week, I'm going to talk again about this great state school of Beaumaris, which everyone wants to get into. In fact, many of the parents who are not in the zone are now going to move themselves. They're going to buy a house in the zone, so they're going to spend a bit of extra money, or rent a house in the zone and spend a bit of extra money, just so that they can, f- they can actually have the fruits of their labour and their seven years of lobbying, which they've been doing ever since the original school closed, for seven years they've been at this, to bear the fruit so they can send their children to this school. That's how good it is. That's how great a state school, Bay Morris Secondary College, is. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent, or if you're a kid, or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever, and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words that he's actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? 
Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive great deal. relationships with each other, with the teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Welcome back and then goodbye. That's what we're doing here at the Dogs Program. We've been here for about an hour now. And, of course, we've got to have a bit of Joe Hill to wrap us up, as we always do here, on the defence of government schools. If you are interested in what we're on about... You can check us out at our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But until next week, from Gene Dale and myself, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find Joe, you're ten years dead. I 